got a question for you this morning as we begin in Matthew chapter 1, and it's this. When I say tree, what do you think of? Now, normally I'd be used to someone blurting an answer out, but you guys all have masks on and you're quiet, and so... But that's a real question. When I say tree, what do you think of? Maybe some of you have a favorite kind of tree. I've learned that. You know, I've been ridiculed before by a kind of tree I had by the tree experts, okay? So... Uh, or maybe it's a tree from your childhood, uh, you might remember. I'll never forget uh, 1495 South Benton Street in Lakewood, Colorado, two blocks from the Denver city limits, going back decades later to my childhood home, bringing the boys there, and everything was so small. Have you experienced that? And that giant tree in the front yard that my younger brother fell, almost killed himself out of, wasn't a 40-foot tree. I think it might have been 15 feet tall. So I remember that tree growing up. Maybe you think of a Christmas tree. I even saw some people wearing Christmas trees today. I saw a sweater with a Christmas tree. Or maybe you think of family tree. Anybody ever think about your family tree? Yeah, trees are interesting. I'll tell you one story about uh, when I was young, I was a, a minister of music and youth. They actually had those things back decades and decades and decades ago. And I got this bright idea of a youth group fundraiser. We would go from Roswell and travel down to Cloudcroft, the backside of Cloudcroft, and a place where we could cut Christmas trees. And it was only five bucks to cut a Christmas tree, and we would bring them back and sell them, and we would get a hundred of them and make all this money, and everybody could go to camp for free and all that. Well, there were problems. First of all, we couldn't, we, it was hard work. I think we got maybe 20 trees cut, and we were dead by the end of the day. But I'll never forget this. I learned a lesson about trees and Christmas trees. I learned that people greatly value their Christmas tree because we brought back these freshly cut trees, and it was as if people looked down their nose at us and said, I, I'm not paying $20 for it. I don't want that tree. It's scrawny or it's not perfect or whatever. And I was a little disappointed but I learned then uh, about Christmas tree. If you're going to cut one, cut one for yourself, but do not cut it for someone else because they have an idea of that. Well, I'd ask you today, what kind of Christmas tree do you have? Let's take a poll, if we could, in the room. How many of you have an artificial tree? Wow. We do as well. We had a son with allergies, and years ago, we started to go with that. How many of you, though, have a real tree? Anyone? Look at that. Look at that. Now, let's be honest. Those of you who raise your hand, how many of you bought it at a lot or a nursery or something? Did any of you go out and cut your own? What? Do we have a prize today? <laughs> One couple in the entire church went out and cut it. So theirs is that ugly, funny-looking one. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I also, when I think about trees, I think about a little over a year and a half ago or so, went and bought three trees, two for dad and one for us. I had a, we had a big tree that was rotting out and, just, and roots were destroying the driveway. You know how that goes and the sidewalks and all that. And so I happened upon and decided after much deliberation with three ash trees, the kind that supposedly have burgundy leaves in the fall. But it was just an interesting process. Went through all these nurseries and trees and, and made the choice <laughs> dug the holes, you've been there, that deep hole, planted it, watered them, fertilized them, checked for straightness, you know how that is in New Mexico, right? You know, um, checked each leaf, looked for every blemish, saw every blemish, overreacted to every blemish, 
and waited and waited to see growth, trees. I never thought about that, but trees are a part of my life. Well, today what I want us to think about is have you ever thought about your family tree? Not Christmas tree, not uh, an ash tree or whatever else, but have you thought of your family tree? What is it like? Hopefully it's not exactly like mine. Mine is scraggly and crazy and hard to distinguish and things grafted on here and there just all over the place. But we want to think about that today. And here's an idea I want you to think about this morning. Is have you ever, you personally, have you ever been grafted into Jesus' family tree? And I want you to think about that today. You know, uh, horticulture and agriculture and science and all that do amazing things today with grafting and improving things. But how about we apply that to our lives? Have you, have I ever been grafted onto Jesus' tree? Today we focus on an overlooked passage in the Bible, the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And we're going to look at that today. But before we read it, I want you to think about something that you might not have pondered. You know, each gospel is different, written to a different audience, uh, portrays Jesus slightly different. It might be a son of God or, or son of man or a Messiah, all these different things. But here in the gospel of Matthew, and I believe throughout Matthew, we see a theme, and I call it root and fruit. You've got to have the root, and then there's fruit that follows from it. If you'll think for a minute about the root, a root being Old Testament prophecies. You familiar with those? And then in Matthew, we see fruit, we see New Testament fulfillments, Jesus coming, root and fruit. In the, in the Old Testament, we see Rachel weeping for her children. Do you remember that story? But then we see fruit here when we're told how Bethlehem's mothers cried and wept for their infants who had been killed. Root, Isaiah, a voice crying in the wilderness, fruit, the preaching of John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness and proclaiming, he is here, he is coming. So the Gospel of Matthew, just a quick overview, was, was written to Jews. It's got a very Jewish flavor. And Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other Gospel. And it's easy to see that root and fruit and root and fruit. So these people, these Jews that are reading the Gospel of Matthew, they had these hopes and these dreams do you remember? It was for generations. The dream was that there someday would come a Messiah, a Savior, Christ, the Anointed One. And they kept looking and looking generation after generation. And they knew he was promised to them. They knew the prophecies that he would come through a royal line or a royal family tree, if you will. And it's no coincidence that Matthew begins his account totally different than the other three Gospels. Yes, Luke has a genealogy. It's a reverse one, and it's along Mary's line, whereas this one is along Joseph's line. But Jesus' family tree, I think, is a perfect way to begin the account of the long-awaited Messiah. So I hope that you'll take note of it today. It's often overlooked, because who wants to read uh, this guy fathered this guy and begat this guy, you know, all these hard names, right? But this tree is about 2,000 years old. It's got 42 generations, 14 times 3. I hope that's 42. And uh, it's a tree where we find both root and fruit. And so I would say if you've ever prayed for your pastor, and thank you, I know you do, 
Now is the time to really intercede for him because he's going to try to read the first 17 (laughs) verses of Matthew. Here we go. The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab. It's getting harder. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. So there's the first group of 14 leading up to King David. Are you good so far? Do we need to go on, please? Do we have to? Okay, let's go on and read it. Okay, then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. And Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. And Manasseh fathered Ammon. And Ammon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah, that's the hard one, and his brothers at the time of the, see the time, exile to Babylon. There's the next 14. And then we continue on. Then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Salathiel, Salathiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiud, Abiud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eliezer, Eliezer fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob, here we go finally, and Jacob fathered, say it with me, Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And then we finish with verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. It's as if Matthew is saying, here you go. Take that. Take a look at that and believe. And then the story continues on. So I want us to look at just a few things today. Number one, the first one I want, it's in your notes. You might want to take a look at that, is within this family tree of Jesus, we have a tree root, I believe, and it comes with a royal branch, a tree root with a royal branch. And we see in verses 1 and 2 that the family tree begins with a strong root. We know him as Abraham. In fact, we've talked about Abraham in our Galatians series, haven't we? Exhibit A that Paul was using. Abraham, the father of the children of Israel. And so we have that there. It's a sturdy trunk, if you will. It's formed by this strong root. He's the father of Israel. The promise of a great nation begins and grows and grows and grows through Abraham. You'll remember in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, what? He's promised that a great nation will come from him. And then in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, he's told, the Lord tells him, it's going to be so amazing and massive. 
That it's going to be like the stars in the sky, the number of that. And then later on in Genesis 17, 5 and 6, Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, as we know him. And he's got the title, the father of many nations. So there's that strong root, but it also continues with a royal branch. And that's David. This is King David. Uh, it's not an accident that the scripture doesn't just say Jesse fathered David. It's been doing that all along. It doesn't say King Solomon later, but it says King David. Now, what do we know about King David? We know that he, no, no one else in scripture gets this moniker, if you will, a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't, guys, wouldn't you love for scripture to say that about you? Scripture ain't going to say that about me, <laughs> and probably not you either, but what an amazing thing. Or ladies were to say, this is a woman after God's own heart. But that's what we hear from David, about David, this royal branch. The greatest king uh, the people had ever known. Even those reading it today, there wouldn't be, uh, when they were reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew, there wouldn't be a dispute about that. This is the greatest king we've ever had, and this royal branch is important, so important, because it fulfills so much Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah. It's clear. The data is there. It's been proven by historians. It's all right there. Folks, read this and know that Jesus is the Messiah, and he comes through the lineage that was prophesied. And Matthew's careful to present a royal and legal, if you will, genealogy of Jesus. But I want us not to forget something with kind of where the tree ends and its fruit. You see, this tree contains the most perfect fruit ever conceived. Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, God's one and only son. God's one of a kind, the Savior of the world. Folks, if we can do anything... Out in our world today, let's be careful that we define terms well. When we say Jesus, let's make it clear to people who we are talking about. Not some prophet in a line of prophets, not some historical figure, not this or that, but Jesus. Think about that, Christian, today. Jesus, one of a kind, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Word who became flesh and dwelt, took up residence among us. John chapter 1, the perfect Lamb slain on the cross for our sin, the one who conquered sin and death by resurrection. Church, let us never forget why Jesus came as a baby. Let's not leave him in the manger. Whew. Jesus. I would not be standing here today if it were not for Jesus and him coming down and saving this rotten little sinner and working in his life. Have you experienced that today? Do you know Jesus not in your head, but in your heart. They say the longest foot in the world is the 12 inches from the head to the heart. Not just do you know him empirically, do you know Jesus? Has he changed your life? He's the perfect fruit, and we see that here. Well, let's move beyond a root. Let's move beyond a royal branch. Let's move, secondly, to branches. And again, I'm reminded of those Christmas trees we cut down. There weren't perfect 
you know. I think the Christmas farms have a way of, I don't know, are any, any Christmas tree farmers in here? Oh, that's right. There's a way to make those a cert, look a certain way. That's right. I forgot we do have a farmerette here. All right, yes. But not this tree. Not Jesus' family tree. It has bent and broken branches. This tree, there's bent twigs, there's broken branches. And I would just say to you today, that resonates with me so much. I don't know about you. I've also had periods of doubt where Satan would come in and attack. Have you ever had that? Look where you're from, buddy. Look how messed up this was, or that was, or maybe still is. Look what this family member did. Look what you did. Look what, you know, Satan can just attack us that way. But Jesus' tree was full of these bent and broken branches. And if there was a big idea today, I think it would be this, and I want you to think about it for a minute. We've got to remember this. God uses all kinds of people. Would you say that with me? God uses all kinds of people. Would you say it again and put it in your heart? God uses all kinds of people. We see it, we see it throughout Scripture, and we see it here in this family tree. And I would ask you today, where are you today? Are you bogged down in your family tree? Are you bogged down wondering, how can God use me? Maybe today you are searching. Maybe today you're wondering, could God really impact my life? Could Jesus come into my life? Could he be my Savior and Lord? And the answer is a resounding, yes, 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 this could happen. So let's look at some of these bent and broken branches real quick. I'm not going to do every name in the genealogy. Some of y'all would miss lunch if we do that, so we won't do that. But let's look, first of all, at Abraham, right there at the beginning. We know Abraham is a man of faith, right? Righteousness was credited to him because of his faith. Did you know he's also a man that lied? Genesis chapter 12. That lie where he thought he'd fix it for himself, and he lied, and he sent his wife. Can you picture this? He sent his wife into the arms of Pharaoh. He was a man who took things into his own hands, and as a result, he fathered Ishmael. Repercussions, perhaps even today, from that. And then we see Jacob. You know, Jacob's name, it means heel grabber. That's the, man, please don't name me that. I would rather have a good name than that. But what does he do? He's the heel grabber, and he grabbed for most of his life, didn't he? He was involved in deception and stolen blessing. Genesis 27 talks about what he did, the deception that went on. And then we move to two, and then into three, we get Judah and his brothers, and it just gets worse. Do you remember Genesis 37, when they sell their brother Joseph into slavery? Unbelievable. And then we hit King David, verse 6. Now, I've already said, wow, King David, king, greatest king we ever had, right? But let's think about that for a minute. A man after God's own heart, yes, but a man after other things, wasn't he? Bathsheba, adultery, cover-up, trying to cover this up to the point of what? Murder of Uriah. Wow. A tree's not quite as straight as we thought it was, is it? 
But then there's some surprises along the bent and broken branches. Now, I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm not being misogynistic, all of those things. But it's very interesting to note, remember the culture back then, he's writing the genealogy, and Matthew includes four, not one, two, three, four Gentile women, unheard of at this time. And so there it is. There's two Canaanites. There's a Moabite. There's a Hittite. Thank goodness there were no parasites. Thank you for laughing. That's a preacher joke, all right? But, uh, but here we go. We start in verse 3 with Tamar, Genesis 38. She takes things into her own hands. She literally disguises herself as a cult prostitute. And because of that, she gives birth to twins fathered by her father-in-law. It's an unsightly knot on the tree. I mean, we would think, well, how could that ever happen? It happened. And then we move to Rahab in verse 5. And what do we see there? Well, Joshua chapter 2 pulls no punches. Rahab is described as a prostitute. And yet, she's used by God. I'm telling you, God uses all kinds of people. Hello? Even pagan people in the New Testament, we can see how God worked through them to help out Paul or the advancement of the gospel. They didn't even know God was using them. But here in Joshua 2, we see she was used, this prostitute, used by God to hide two spies sent by Joshua to scout Jericho. Do you remember that? What a great book, Joshua. And then she had to lower the spies by the rope out of the city to safety. And later on, Scripture tells us that she and her family were spared when the fall of Jericho came later. We're not done. In verse 5, we also see another lady, Ruth. Now you think, oh, Ruth, a book written about her. Great woman. Um, she was a foreigner. That was a big deal back then. That shouldn't be a big deal today, church, but that was a big deal back then. And the book of Ruth tells this story of the foreigner, uh, an unexpected branch or twig in the family tree. Why? Marriages to foreigners were forbidden by Jewish law, and, not, and, and, and these folks were not allowed into the Lord's assembly. Now, I don't know about you. Any person who wants to walk in the door, well, is that the, no, we have two doors right now. Someday we'll have them all open again, amen? Won't that be great? Any person who wants to walk in that door you know, unless they're carrying an automatic rifle and have, you know, bad things in their heart. But just, I, it doesn't matter how tall they are, how short they are, what color they are, what language they speak, whether they smell or don't smell, whether they have on nice clothes or ratty clothes. It matters not. I, would, I say, come in. Come in and see what the Lord has for you. And yet here we have this lady that, because of where she was from, could not do that. Remember, God uses all kinds of people. It gets worse in verse 6. Check it out. It's so bad here in this family tree that her name is not recorded. Did you catch it? Sol David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Well, Bible students, of course, know that's Bathsheba, but her name is not even mentioned in Matthew's list. Another adulterer. What are we to make 
of this tree through whose branches came the Savior of the world. More importantly, the Savior of your life and mine. What do we make of all the sin, of all the imperfection, of all the failure after failure? Simply this. God's purposes are not thwarted by our humanity. He's not surprised. He knows. No matter what you think you might have done, or maybe what you think in your brain, or fill in the blank, God's purposes are not thwarted by our humanity. No matter how weak you might think you are, no matter how wayward it may seem, he works in us, church, through us, and often in spite of us. Hello? Thought I might get an amen there. I want you to think about that for a minute. He's working right now in each family and individual that's represented here today. And those of you online as well. He is working. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's in us. Unfortunately, it's not always through us as much as it should be. Because we keep messing up. And unfortunately, sometimes it's in spite of what Lamar does. And yet he works. Let's remember that. He works in us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that in spite of our sin and our continued mistakes and our failings and our sins of commission, but our sins of omission, those times we don't do and don't work in the opportunities he gives us, he still works. I'm so glad about that. Do you desire his work in your life? I do. Each day is a new day, right? Morning by morning, new mercies we see. Lamentations. Wow. He's ready and willing to work today in your life and my life. Well, let's not forget one more lady. Verse 16. It's the one you know, huh? Mary. And it's interesting because depending on your translation, it's going to either say uh, she gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah or from whom was born. Either way, who or whom, if you, you look at that, that's a, a feminine word showing her. It, it's clear in the original language. She was the physical parent of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Wow. Of the unknown Of all unknowns, scholars would tell us probably a younger teenage girl, never to be known, and yet today in 2020, right now in December, we're mentioning her name. The choice, the unknown choice to raise the Lamb of God. I like that song, Mary, Did You Know? Maybe you don't like it, but it has some phrases in there that are just so powerful to think this unknown holds the Savior of the world. Wow. And I would tell you this today. God also uses the unknowns. I was hit with a quote this past week that really hit me. And it was this, that God works all the time through the fine print people rather than the celebrities. God's desire is to work. We may never be known in our world. We're the fine print people. But God desires to work in us and through us. 
We don't have to have written the book. We don't have to have preached the sermon. We don't have to have the TV show. We could go on and on and on. I'm not saying that God never works through celebrities, but that resonated with me because all of my adult Christian life, I have seen God working through fine print people. Don't give up in your intercession. Don't give up with your prayer journal, your prayer lives. Don't give up teaching that Bible study Sunday school class. Don't give up. Don't give up working with children. Don't give up trying to share your faith with your neighbor or your family, your friends, the guy you work with. Don't give up. God uses the fine print people. Mary, of all people. Well, I want to kind of go on and, and carry on the metaphor and kind of do a little bit more with the metaphor. And, and just the, the last point here, I want us to think about this, that the gardener, and a gardener, but the gardener, cares for the tree. Isn't that true? It's a role of gardener. And of course, here I'm referring to God as he does that. And just think about the three main things that the gardener would do, pruning, watering, weeding. And think about God as, as we're grafted into his tree, when we become children of a living God, when we're part of the family and we're grafted in, he prunes. I don't like that, do you? That's that cutting off of sinful parts. Has God had to do that in your life? And perhaps more than once it kept growing back. And, yeah. And strengthening us, helping us towards maturity, working in all things in the Christian life. He also is about watering. And, and think about, we've got to have water. Water is life. He's growing us. He's giving us the water of life. He's helping us, as Jesus would say, to thirst no more as we develop a deeper relationship with him. You know, I learned something about that tree that we had to get rid of that cracked our driveway and sidewalk. They told me when that tree was planted... Because I was saying, it's just too big. Why in the world would Pulte Homes plant a stupid tree, I'm sorry, a, a dumb tree like that and cause all this problem? And the guy said, well, they didn't water it enough. And the roots stayed along the surface. What defined the water? It needed deep watering so the roots would go down. Well, you know what I've been doing with my new tree? It's probably waterlogged, but I've been... Deep. Do not get over to the concrete. But that's a picture for us even. that as, as the gardener God cares for us, we're grafted onto the tree. It can be deeper and deeper. And then weeding, you, that hedge of protection that's around us, getting rid of these things that might entangle us. And then we carry it a little further, not just of, of what the gardener does, but it happens through the four seasons. Have you ever thought about the four seasons of life? Maybe you've read Chuck Swindoll's book or other things about that. But we have autumn, and, and that's equated with when we experience the losses of life. Church, I'm going to tell you something. He's there. He's not just there in the victories. He's there in the losses. And then we move to winter and we're strengthened, in, we're inside, it's the coal, and there we are. He's working. He's working even in those quiet 
individual moments. And then spring comes and we're renewed. The sap comes, if you will. And God is building in our lives. There's seasons in our lives of building, not just of, uh, of being strengthened, not just of loss even, but there's times of building. And he's doing that. And then summer comes, and I hope it comes for all believers. It's the opportunity to share fruit. Isn't that right? I got an apple tree, peach tree. Well, peach trees sometimes never make it here, do they? It depends on the freeze. But it's the sharing of that, of the fruit he's cultivating. And ultimately, he's grafting. And God is about that. Season after season, he walks the uncultivated fields of each and every generation. And we accept his gift of grace. We surrender our lives to him, and we're grafted onto the tree, and we start as baby Christians, we start as little buds, but we blossom as he works in our life into these branches. So I'd ask you today as we close, what about your family tree? What's it like? You see, church, it doesn't matter where you came from. God wants you. You bear his image he created you, and he has a desire to have fellowship with you. It does not matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your gender. Everyone is included here in this tree. Everyone is prominent in the kingdom. Aren't you glad? It doesn't matter if I was born first or last in my family, if I was a boy or a girl. None of that matters. Everyone is included in the kingdom who surrenders to him. And here's a beautiful thing. It doesn't matter how long it takes. You may be 70, you may be 80, you may be 90 today, and God is faithful, and his faithfulness endures generation after generation. And he is ready to receive you. He is ready for you to repent and commit your life to him. I often think about the thief on the cross. I know that can be overplayed sometimes, but I'm just reminded doesn't matter how rotten you are or how close to your life being over, he is still ready to work and receive you. And I've experienced that a few times in my life, someone close to death, repenting and giving their life to the Lord. That is just as sure and solid as the one who is six years old, eight years old, who accepts Christ and lives the Christian life. It matters not how long it takes. So Matthew's gospel shows some barriers, and it shows barriers being evaporated. Men and women, gone. Jews, Gentiles, right? The Gentile ladies, gone. Saints, sinners, through the work of Jesus, barriers always evaporate. And Jesus' ancestry speaks to this, showing us that God chooses his, God is the one who chooses his servants. Do you believe that? You don't save. I don't say. God's the one who saves. And he chooses his servants. And he chooses knots sometimes, bumps sometimes, bends sometimes, all of it, and grafts it into his tree. And I want to ask you today the most important question. Have you been grafted into Jesus' tree? One more look at verse 16. Do you see it? Jacob fathered Joseph, who gave birth to Jesus, Jesus, who is called 
Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. They had been waiting. The 42nd generation, they had been waiting. It's Jesus. You see, let me say it like this. The greatest Christmas gift ever given wasn't placed under the tree. I was just talking with some, some kids today. Did I get it right? 50, 56 presents or 58 presents? 58 presents under their tree. And, of course, as a loving pastor that I am, I first of all said, well, or at least three or four for Pastor Lamar. <laughs> they, were, they answered right away, no. They were, they were good with that, yeah. But the greatest Christmas gift ever given wasn't placed under the tree. Scripture tells us what? He was nailed to the tree. The perfect Son of God, fully man, fully divine, humbled himself, emptied himself, and came and died for you and for me. I want to ask you this today. What would happen if we all responded to him today? Can you imagine the revolution that would take place if we all responded to him today? What might happen? Jesus is ready for you. God is fully able to graft you into his tree. Let's pray. God, I'm praying for people that are in, in the midst of this Christmas season. And perhaps they have more time on their hands and they have been praying that they would have this extra time to examine and to see if they truly have this relationship with you. If it's more than head knowledge, but it's gotten to their heart. And I pray today that people would be saved, that they would be grafted to the tree. I pray today that people would understand that Jesus loves us and died for us in our sin and we're so grateful for that. And we can repent and turn from what we've done, turn from our old ways, and we can run to Jesus and present our life. And he is the one who saves and is ready to do that. He is ready, willing, and able. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, Jesus died for us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead. Believe the scripture. Scripture tells us we shall be saved. God, help us to remember why Jesus came as a baby. It was to pay a price, a penalty. It was to conquer sin and death, the grave, the devil. God, in your word, it's so clear to us that we can humbly come to you. So God, I pray today that people would be grafted. People listening in this room, online, wherever they might be, that they would turn to you. And God, I pray for those of us who are bent and we're kind of broken, we're already on the tree, God, that you would not allow us to wallow in our mistakes or our past, but we would live victoriously and triumphantly because you are ready and willing to work through us. That is fine print people. You do that. You work. And that we don't have to achieve this or that 
that we can just serve you right where we are, right in the circumstances. So God, we pray that that would be our heart as this week as we lead up to Christmas Eve and to Christmas and beyond. That you just refresh us and remind us of what you've done. That we have a Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us from the lives of others, from your scripture, and we're so grateful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.